But we are privileged, and it's such a joy for me to have June Hesterly with us this evening, and she's going to teach on Eve, and some of you have heard June before. She's, it's been a while. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a while since we've had June here, so it's, it's just an honor to have her. She stepped right in last minute for me, and I, she's a sweet friend, and she brought Janie with her, so you might see Janie Alfred around here somewhere. Janie was our... Uh, speaker at our retreat this last year. Many of you <laughs> say hi, Janie. <laughs> so June, come on up. We love June, and you are in for some meat. So get ready. Here we go. Well, for that applause for Janie, I think Janie should be the one up here. <laughs> the last time I was here, I was young, and now I'm old. So thank you for letting me come. We're, we're naughty girls because some of us got together for dinner before we came over here and we were running late. So we're the last ones in. We're really late. And Denise whispered to me, she said, we're really bad. <laughs> but I was at everybody else's mercy, so it wasn't me. <laughs> Feel like Eve, it wasn't me. <laughs> All right. It's, it's wonderful to study the women of the Bible, and when I've been with women's groups, I've really realized that that's probably one of the favorite studies that women do is a series on women of the Bible, and the reason that we study their lives is because there's so many negative things that we want to avoid, but there's also wonderful positive things, and as we look at the life of Eve, and her name means the mother of all living. So she had many, many children, and you are one of them, and I am one of them. And I think there's a song, isn't there? What? Oh, I think that's Abraham, though. All right. But we see how her life clearly had an effect on all of us, and not just us as women, but uh, the entire human race. And so this drama actually begins in chapter 2, and I hope you've done a thorough study because we're just going to skim over the top tonight because there's so much hear about her life and how the background is important to where we're at in the study and all the things that come after that. But I hope you've done that study already. And as we see in chapter 2, God created Adam from the dust. Isn't that funny? He was created from the mud, and we were created from another human being. So the rib was taken out of the side of Adam. And all of the animals then were made at this point in the creation, but there was not found a helper who was suitable or comparable or equal to Adam. And so I think it's very interesting that the scripture calls Eve a helper or a woman helper because sometimes we think of ourselves as being a helper, being a demeaning term. But, you know, in the New Testament, it says that God was going to send us a helper, the Holy Spirit. So it's not a demeaning term, and it really means that man was incapable of anything without a helper. (laughs) Just as I'm incapable of anything without the help of the Holy Spirit. So God gave them the first anesthetic when he put Adam into a deep sleep. And then he had the first surgery that was recorded for us in the scriptures. And then he took a rib from Adam and he made a woman in verse 23 of chapter 2. And we're going to start by reading and just covering chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So there was something a little off there in her reply. And then in verse 4, it says, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And wasn't that the downfall of Satan himself in heaven? He wanted to be like God. So verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And I'm going to go down farther. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Notice that he called to Adam. And he had a conversation. So he said to Adam, I heard your voice in the garden. Or excuse me, Adam is speaking to God. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God replied and said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Don't forget, Adam came from the dust and now the serpent's going to eat dust. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living now, in my early teenage years, and I was 16 when I got married, I had nothing to do during the daytime while my husband went to work, so we had a little TV that was probably a 7-inch screen at that time, and I became totally addicted to soap operas. I knew everything about this person, and I got into the drama of this one and that life, and so on and so forth. And as I was reading these passages, I realized that this reads just like a modern-day soap opera. 
these people blew it really big time, and it just goes on and on from here. And so the scene opens with a crisis point, a crisis of sinfulness, and then it digresses to suffering and finally to separation. The list of characters for us in this drama include a serpent and two servants and a sovereign. It says that Eve was taken from the side of Adam to be his helpmeet, somebody who was equal to him, but he had the responsibility of being the leader in this life. The setting of the story for us is a beautiful garden. It was a place of perfection, a paradise. It is perfect in every single way. Every single aspect of this place was perfect. It was the perfect home. They didn't have to watch Home and Garden Channel and Chip and Joanne to know how to fix it up because everything was there. Everything was beautiful to their eyes. It was a place where the perfect husband was. He, he was awesome. He was the hunk. There was no flaw in him whatsoever. Perfect in conversation, perfect in his attitude. There was no arguments with him because he didn't argue with her and she didn't argue with him. There was none of that in this perfect husband. And she was the perfect wife. Wouldn't that be amazing? She had a perfect body. She was probably the perfect size four. She had no wrinkles, no blemishes, no stretch marks because she never had had children up to this point. She had no gray hair. She had no zits that she had to worry about day by day. And she was actually considered the crown of man at that time. It was also a perfect environment. I imagine that that all they heard all day long was not just the sounds of the animals that were pleasant to their ears, but they heard the rustling of the trees and, and the breezes that were blowing. But also there was probably praise and worship music continually throughout the garden. It was a place where there was a perfect climate. They were naked. They didn't have to worry about it being cold or too warm or whatever. They, they didn't have to worry about the air conditioning because they both were equipped for that. So it was a perfect climate. They had the perfect entertainment. Can you imagine all of the animals that would come up and, and have communion with them? You know, we, we just uh, uh, rescued a little Maltipoo uh, from the shelter about nine months ago. And I never could understand people who treated their pets like they were actually their children and talked to them. But, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this little dog, nine pounds of her, rules our family and our home. She is the most precious thing that we've ever had. And, and she entertains us continually through the day. She is part multi-poo, and so she's got more poodle than she has multi in her. And so she's always begging from us, and she'll go up on do her little poodle dance in front of us. And, and she'll run back and forth, and if we're not paying attention to her, she'll get up on the arm of the chair, and she'll just... She'll be growling at us. And she entertains us all day long. And can you imagine Adam and Eve having all of these animals? Not just little dogs running around, but the birds were chirping and, and the lions and the lambs and all of the other animals that were there. And just the fun of having to name them. You know, who, who would come up with rhinoceros and hippopotamus? It's a place of perfect fellowship, no arguing. 
And not only that, they were walking and talking with God himself in the garden in the cool of the evening. It was a place that was lacking only in pain. There was no more pain, no more heartache. There was no shame. There was no worry. There was no stress. There was no carpooling, so they didn't have to worry about getting the kids to the places on time. There was no debt. They didn't need Dave teaching perfect peace in finances. There was no toil and sweat. There was no conflict with the animals, with God, with themselves, nothing. There was no fear, and there was no death. And to top it all off, they were probably all vegetarians until the flood because it said they were given of all the seed and the herbs, and even the animals were told to eat these things. But into all this perfection, there was a snake in the grass, a fly in the ointment. Now, this snake was one of many creatures that the God, the sovereign God had made. He was more cunning, the scripture tells us, than any of the rest of them. The word cunning means to be shrewd. It means to be crafty. That doesn't mean that he watched Pinterest and had all these crafts, but he was shrewd and subtle and sly. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, we find a lot more information concerning this person. He's called Lucifer. He's called Satan, and in Revelation, he's called the serpent. Evidently, he was the choir master in heaven, and he's also called an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was beautiful to behold. He probably at that time was walking upright, and he was very attractive. Have you ever looked closely at the zoo and in the windows at some of the serpents and seen the colors and the patterns that are there on them? I don't get too close to examine all those things, truthfully. But you can see pictures of them, and they're bright colors and all of these different things. And so they're very fascinating. People can actually become hypnotized by them in some aspects. And so we see that he's, he's changeable and he appears on the scene. And it was Satan's pride that brought down his downfall and he was cast out of heaven with one third of the angels who rebelled against him. You know, for so many years in my early childhood and as I was raised and not knowing the scriptures as I understand them today, I thought somehow that Satan was equal in his power and authority to the Lord. I did not understand that Satan, this serpent, was actually a created being himself. So we must never have this wrong idea of who he is. Now, most likely, as I said, he was probably walking upright. He was beautiful to behold, and he was beguiling to look at. He first came to the woman, and he began to cast doubt on God's word. Has God really said And that's been his method of operation, his M.O., through all these eons of time, especially when we're going through difficulties. Do you ever have those thoughts when you're going through trials and crisis times? Does God really know my need? Does God really see me? Does God really care? And like Habakkuk, you know, is God really fair? When I'm going through difficulties, that's one of the first things I start thinking. The enemy begins to put those thoughts into my mind, thinking, God really can't love you. 
Look at this person over here. They're doing just great. And yet they fail in every way. In fact, Lord, look at Martha down the street. She has everything. And even she has a foul mouth. She's promiscuous. She does everything wrong. And yet look how blessed she is. And my world is falling apart. And look at Martha, Lord. She has the, the, the best house on the street. She drives the newest and the fanciest car. She's dripping in jewels. Her husband is a hunk. Her kids go to the best school and they never get into trouble. And to top it all off, she's thin. <laughs> God, where are you? God, don't you love me? Why are you letting her get away with those things? And I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do according to your word. And I'm suffering so terribly. And the enemy comes in when we're vulnerable and he begins to whisper all these lies. Because he was a liar from the beginning and he hasn't stopped. He still uses those things. And in our vulnerable moments, he comes in and attacks us. And the only way that we have to counterattack is to be a student of the word. How do we do that? How do we do that? First of all, we've got to recognize when we hear that voice telling us those things. You see, if we're in God's word, we're going to recognize the lies when they come. So we can't wait until we get to a vulnerable spot. We have to prepare ahead of time. Just as a soldier who's going into war, they prepare and train ahead of time for the battle that's coming. We are going to go through battles. We are going to go through those times when we become vulnerable to the enemy. And the only way that we can stand is to be prepared in God's word. And when he comes in and tells us, oh, God doesn't really care for you. Look at the trials that you're going through, the losses that you're having, the experiences in your finances. Well, what does the word say? The word says, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God, I feel so alone. I feel like nobody cares. And he whispers in our ear, I am a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But God, I don't feel loved. I laid my life down for you on the cross. No greater love hath any man than this to lay down his life for his friend. And God loved us while we were still sinners, his enemy. So the only way that we can counterattack the lies is to, to, to know what the truth is. But we also have to recognize when the enemy comes. And then we counterattack with God's word. Now, maybe the serpent came to the woman first. I've often wondered, why did he come to Eve? But if we look at women, generally speaking, this is a general thing. Women are easily deceived by their emotions. We are very emotional. And so we get vulnerable in that area. Now, perhaps Satan knew that he was the weaker link because she had heard the commands of God concerning the two trees secondhand. She had heard this through Adam because God spoke to Adam when he gave these commands about the trees. Eve was not there as far as we know. So there was only one command that he actually gave to Adam, and that one was of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
Keep in mind that Adam was given this word before Eve was even created, according to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The scripture tells us that Eve was the one who was deceived and then obeyed. And notice also, as we read through the scriptures, we wonder sometimes, because we're taught in marriage classes, that, you know, he, Adam, had not fulfilled his leadership role because he was off somewhere else where he should have been there right beside her. But it says that he was right there with her. That kind of opened my eyes to everything. And so Eve added to the command saying, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Satan appealed to Eve by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She saw that it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eye, and it would make her wise. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness? How was he tempted? In all three of those ways, he was tempted. Now, as we look at Eve, there's a digression here. She first looked at the temptation, and then she took it, and then she ate. We have to be so careful of where we place our eyes. Things are so tempting in our world. There's not... One moment that we can't drive down the street and see something that's wicked or evil. And we have to be careful what we're looking at on our Facebook page, on the internet, on the television. I know of a pastor's wife a few years ago who decided that she would just look up one of her old high school sweethearts on the internet. And so she looked him up and began a, a, a relationship with him on Facebook wasn't too long after that that she actually fell into sin with him and had a relationship. She lost everything, her marriage, her children, her church, everything that was important to her because she looked and then she took and then she ate. One of the saddest sentences in the Old Testament was she took it and she ate because we were all affected by those actions Note again that Adam was with her, but he didn't speak up. He didn't argue. He didn't correct. He didn't protect her. He did not take his leadership role. Eve was deceived, the scripture says, but Adam willfully disobeyed, and all of mankind suffers the consequences of it. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 said, It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman. That word deceived means she was beguiled. It was like a trance or something had come over her that brought her to this place of sin. And the results of this, the consequences were that they instantly had the knowledge of good and evil and they felt shame and guilt and then they saw their nakedness. And the response that they have was to take fig leaves and make a covering for themselves. They instantly felt their separation from the Lord with whom they'd had before perfect fellowship and communion. And even when we as believers are disobedient, if we're rebellious, there comes in a break in our fellowship. It doesn't mean that we lose our our connection with him. We're still his daughters. We're still his children. But there's that fellowship that is broken in our lives. When I'm doing something behind my husband's back, Sometimes it's hard to look him in the eye. We feel that separation in our hearts. I, some time ago, about 
seven or eight years ago when we moved out to the area of Murrieta, I looked for a hairdresser, which, of course, for women, that's the most important thing that we look for. And I found this woman who would do my hair, and she had previously been an assistant pastor's wife, so those girls who went to her, she would give us a discount on our hair. So my husband would ask how much I need, and because I was paying this amount when we moved from Orange County, I just told him, I'm paying this amount. And then she wasn't charging me that much, but I pocketed the rest of it. So every month, Jim would ask me, how much do you need? And I, he says, do you need what you had last week or month? And I'd say, of course, of course, of course. This went on for several years. <laughs> I'm such a rebellious, greedy, wicked, sinful wife. But the longer it went on, the more conviction I had and my fellowship was broken. Every time I went to study God's word or to pray, that would pop into my mind. You were being dishonest. You were being greedy. Now, that was not condemnation from the enemy. That was conviction from the Holy Spirit. And there was a little pain in my heart every time I mentioned this to my husband. Finally, I could not stand it any more. After several years. <laughs> so I went to my husband finally and I confessed it. And I said, you know what? I've been asking for this much, but it doesn't really cost that amount. And he just looked me in the eye and he says, well, let me see. You owe me this much and this much and this much. <laughs> but there was a little break in our fellowship. And I'm so glad I got that cleared up with him and with the Lord, more, more especially, most especially with the Lord. But when we are walking in disobedience, when we are walking in sin, there's a break in our fellowship as believers. And so Adam and Eve began to play the blame game. They were refusing to take responsibility for their own actions, their own sinfulness. Adam blamed Eve, and then Eve blamed the serpent. It was the woman you gave me, but it was the serpent who gave me the fruit. Now, God did not ask any questions of the serpent, but only the man and the woman. He asked them these questions in order to give them an opportunity to be repentant and to be restored. But Satan himself was not questioned because he was beyond restoration. And two curses were pronounced. First of all, there was a curse put upon the serpent. Satan was cursed and caused to writhe on his belly and to eat dust all of his life. Remember we said that he probably was walking upright? So he wasn't frightening to Eve at all. But now he would writhe on his belly. And I would guarantee almost every woman in this room is probably fearful of a snake that's writhing. I, I don't want to see any in my yard at all. And then the secondly, there would be enmity between him and the woman. Her seed, capital S, and his seed, it's interesting that God dealt with Satan first because his sin was greater. But he said his, her seed, through her line, her seed would bruise the serpent's head and the serpent's seed would bruise his heel. It was the first prophecy concerning a savior. 
the Messiah. It comes right here in this portion of scripture. Now the second curse was on the earth. The earth is cursed and it brings forth thorns and thistles. As soon as spring comes, we're going to see all of those weeds pop up. We're going to see thorns and thistles, especially where I live. It's dry. It's hot. I've already begun to see a lot of weeds growing in our yard that we need to take out. So this is the part that we deal with. You go out and plant your garden or your flower beds, and pretty soon, instead of a flower that pops up, there's a great big weed. So those are the places that the earth is cursed. Even the scripture in the New Testament says, even the whole earth groans for its redemption. Now, there are four areas that Eve and all women are to experience because of the consequences of sin. Women would now have multiplied sorrow. Women throughout the world have experienced unique sufferings where countries and cultures are, are considering them only or a little more than a cattle or a price of an animal. Isn't it sad? When we see what's happening around the world to women today, it's really frightening, isn't it? And so they can be treated, mistreated, and, and suffer the consequences of this. Secondly, women will have pain in childbearing. Now, there's pain in giving birth. I, I was in labor a long time and gave birth finally to a 10-pound, 4-ounce baby boy. Now, I was 16 years old, so I know what pain in childbirth is all about. But there's also the pain of raising a child, and it doesn't stop even after they reach adulthood, because even then there's pain, because there's nothing more painful than watching your child, whom you've raised to know the Lord, walk away from the things that you've planted in them and taught them. Every mother who's had a prodigal knows the pain and suffering that that brings. Not only that, every parent who's got a kid living at home, you know that you can't lock a teenager up in the closet anymore. They're going to want to drive. And the minute they start driving, you are awake all night until they come home. When my kids moved out of the house in their adulthood, and then they moved back in their adulthood, even in that period of time, when they would go out for the evening, I still would stay awake until they came home, no matter what time it was, because you just never stop being mother. And then they get married, and then you've got a spouse to worry about as, as well. And then they have children, so you've got your children that are adults now, and you've got grandchildren, and then the grandchildren have children, and then you worry about your great-grands. So it doesn't stop. There's always this pain, and it's often into adulthood. Sin came through Eve. A woman's desire would be towards her husband. That's the third result. The word desire now is not referring to a physical desire. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we just felt the same way that we did while we were engaged or dating that guy? Oh, yeah, he's so hot. Can't wait. You know, when he touches me, I just shiver all over. And our hormones are racing, and about three months after we get married, everything changes. The moment we have our monthly cycle hit, you know, there's within us that desire to be held, but there's that other part of us that says, get away from me, don't even think about it. So we've got all of this. And I often wondered, Lord, why am I not desiring him like I did before? And I could do a whole lesson on this, okay, girls? 
But it's not referring to physical desire, but it's the desire within us now that he is the leader, but now we desire to lead him and we desire to rule him. It says this word in the Hebrew, and I'm probably not saying it right, Janie, so you can ask Justin, the Hebrew scholar, when you get home. But it's shook in the Hebrew. It's from this root. And that word means to overflow. So we will desire to overflow him, to overrun him, to rule over him, to take control. But he would be the one now to rule over us. So you can see the conflict right there. That means now that I have to relinquish my leadership role to him. I experienced this several years ago when I just felt like the Lord was telling me that I need to release the finances to my husband. And that was part of the role that God wanted us to have, that he would take care of that. And I'd taken care of the checkbook for years and done all of these things. And so finally I sat down and talked with Jim and I said, you know, I think the Lord wants me to relinquish this to you. I just can't emotionally deal with it anymore. So the first month, he didn't know what he was doing. And he went to Bible study one night, and my kids and I were sitting there watching TV, and the lights went out. (laughs) And he had forgotten to pay the bill. I met him at the front door, and I said, give me the checkbook back. I wanted him to lead and be in control and to, and to protect me and do all of these things. But the other part of me wanted to do it instead of him. Because in my heart, it was about control. And in my heart, it was about taking the lead. I could do it better. And that's really what the heart of it is. You know, one example of this is we want him to take the leadership and discipline the children, especially when they get to their teenage years. So he says, yes, I'll do those things. He goes to discipline the children, and the first thing we say is, why were you so harsh? Or why weren't you hard enough? Why did you do it this way? Well, don't do it anymore. I'll do it. And so there's this struggle going on between the husband and wife, this constant area of control. We desire to usurp the leadership of our husband, but he is to rule over us. That doesn't mean he's to have an iron fist. That just means that he will take the leadership and we relinquish that to him. It's about that word, that ugly S word, submission, that God talks about in his word. To Adam, though, he said, what was freely given you in the garden now, you'll have to toil and sweat and labor for. Death would now be his destiny and they would return, both of them, to the dust from which Adam came. Now Adam and Eve had sought to cover themselves. A pattern of mankind has followed this through the ages. Man seeks to cover their own guilt and shame by their own works. Adam and Eve made coverings of the leaves. But God, the Father, in his love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy made them tunics of skin by the death of an animal and the shedding of blood. It was the first time that blood was shed. And only God himself can cover our sins. 
by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his son. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So here we have another example looking forward to Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice for us. Adam gave Eve her name. He said, she will be Isha. His name was Ish. Now that means that she came out of his side. They were sent from paradise, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in their sinful state. The book of Genesis in this portion of scripture is a book of first. It was the first time a wedding was performed. The father took the bride and he presented her to the groom. It's the first time the serpent's mentioned. First time that man sins. It's the first time that they experience good and evil, shame and guilt. It's the first time that fear appears. It's the first promise of the Messiah, her seed and his seed of the enemy. It's the first time blood is shed. It's the first time man saw death. How horrifying it must have been for Adam and Eve. These animals that they'd had communion with, that they'd enjoyed, that Adam had spent time naming them. Now they saw God take an animal and slay him so that they could be covered. How painful that must have been for their heart. It's the first time that death is foretold for mankind. Now Adam and Eve actually experienced a spiritual death. But hallelujah, a way back was given through the shedding of the blood. It's the first time that man was estranged from God, this God that they'd walked with in the garden and had communion with. Now they felt the estrangement from him. It's the first time that curses are mentioned. It's the first woman giving a name. It's the first time the cherubim are mentioned. It's the first time that a woman experiences childbirth. What a surprise that must have been to Eve. Because I doubt if she even knew what all that meant. You're going to have pain in childbirth. Childbirth? What's that? But it was also the first time after she gave birth that a woman experienced the loss of a child. It's the first time they experienced conflict in their family. And oh, how painful it is for a parent to see the siblings in conflict I read on Facebook that every mother desires to see her children grow up to love one another. And I'm so thankful that my children have grown up to love one another and they love each other's spouses and their kids and they love being together. Of course, one lives in one state and one in the other, so they don't have a lot of opportunity to get in conflict, but I'm thankful for that. This chapter reveals to us the portrait of a broken-hearted father a compassionate father. Do you imagine the pain and the grief that God the Father must have felt to see his children go through this? To know that he had to let them suffer the consequences of their sin? Oh, how painful it is as a parent to watch my children go through those things and know that as adults, I cannot step in and do it for them. It shows us an omniscient father who always had the plan of redemption from eternity past. Romans 5.12 tells us that by one man, Adam, 
sin entered, and now death. But by one man, Jesus Christ, life is given. We are now either in Adam or we are in Christ. If you are in Adam, you are not his child. But if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, you have gone from the darkness into life. Now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, some of the lessons that we can learn from Eve's example is that, first of all, as women, we have great influence in the lives of other people that we're in contact with. If you're a wife, you know that you have great influence over that husband. If you're a single woman, you know that even then you can have influence in a man's life or anyone else's life. We have great influence in their lives. I looked up some of the people that had influence, and I saw that Sarah influenced Abram to take Hagar. You remember the trouble, and we're still experiencing the consequences of that with Israel and the Arab nations. Sarah influenced Abram to take Hagar. Jezebel influenced Ahab to do wickedness. Solomon's wives, when he took all those women, you know, we think of Solomon as the wisest man in the world, but he... You know, to have a thousand wives was not the wisest thing. You'd think he would have learned after a couple of them. But he made political alliances with these wives. And when he did, they brought all their idols with them. And it was the beginning of the downfall of the nation. Herodias influenced Herod to remove the head of John the Baptist. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and maybe you can tell me afterwards, of women who influenced their men in their life to good. The only one I could think of was Abigail, who influenced David to great restraint when he wanted to go in and kill Nabal. And Abigail stepped in and said, don't do this because you'll have blood on your hands. And Eve made the first mistake when she listened to Satan. Don't listen. Don't have a conversation with him. Don't argue with him. You go right to the Lord when the Satan whispers in your ear. She listened to the enemy, and then she changed God's word. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. It says what it says, and it means what it says. But you have to be a student of God's word. If you are not a student of God's word, you are not going to know when the lies are told to you. And I have to applaud all of you in this room because that's why you're here, because you want to study God's word. And then Eve considered the temptation. She must have thought about it for a few seconds. And then she disobeyed, and then she led Adam to sin as well. We have to be careful, women. We have great influence in this world. We have to be the wives that are godly wives. You know, the scripture says over and over in the book of Proverbs that It's better to dwell on the housetop than to dwell inside the house with a contentious woman. You can influence your husband or those men around you or others in your life to do good or to do evil. You can bless them or you can blast them. And I know even as women, we can influence one another also by the little things that we say, the little things that we do. The way that we say it, the inflections of our voice, the gossip uh, that we have in our, in our conversations, we need to be very careful because we have great influence. I know that I can influence my husband. I can tell him a truth, 
But the way that I tell it to him, I can influence him in the way that I want to go. And what is that called? Manipulation. So we need to be very careful of those things. These are lessons that are negative and positive. They can be positive because we can turn them around and say, I do not want to follow the pattern of Eve, but oh, how I want to follow Jesus Christ, that supreme, supreme sacrifice for me. And it gives us a thankful heart as we think of all that he's done for us, all that he's accomplished for us. I am a sinner because I come from the seed of Eve, but Jesus Christ, the Messiah, gave his life for me gave his life for you and if you know him you are covered now with his covering the one that God has provided for you we don't have to work for that we don't have to go out and do anything for it it's not on our workspaces it's because he loved us and of his great love and compassion oh what a savior we have in Jesus Christ oh what a beautiful name What a wonderful name. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. There's no rival, no comparison. No one can compare to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. No man can satisfy that. No friend, no child, no job, no education, no finances or beautiful home or any of these things can take the place of Jesus Christ. That ultimate sacrifice for you and I. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, there's so much that we didn't cover. And I pray that as the women go to their small groups, Lord, that they would be able to glean more from your word. And Lord, help us to be women of your word, to search the scriptures. Help us also to be wise, Lord, and discerning. When the enemy speaks to us, help us to recognize What's happening, and Lord, help us to counteract those lies with the truth of your word. And I feel like the Lord is speaking to me tonight. There's someone here, you've been listening to the lies of the enemy. And he's been telling you that your life is not worth living, that things are so hopeless, that he's beginning to put thoughts of suicide in your mind. I'm here tonight to tell you that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God loves you. The evidence of it is Jesus Christ on the cross giving himself for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And even though you're going through difficulties right now, there will be an end one day. It might not be tonight, it might not be tomorrow, but he's going to be there right with you, side by side. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And Lord, I pray for that one tonight who's feeling so hopeless. Will you bring hope back into her life and help her to see, Lord, that she's been listening and toying with the lies of the enemy. Give her victory, we pray. Bless this time now that we have with one another in Jesus' name. Amen.